It's time for Mac Geek Gab, and listener Bob brings us brings brings us our quick tip of the week by saying, "I think I tripped over something that I never knew might benefit others." Uh, if you swipe up from the lower left corner of an iPad screen, uh, he says, I'm not sure if it's directly up or towards the center. He says, as I'm still discovering it, it's more towards the center, Bob, I think is the right way to describe that. Yep. You do that. Swipe up from the lower left corner of the iPad screen. It takes a screenshot. Bob says he never knew this uh, and figured he'd share. Thank you for sharing, Bob. More tips like this, plus your questions answered today on Mac Geek Gab 970 for Monday, February 27th, 2023. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome, indeed, to Mac Geek Gab, the show where we share tips just like that, your questions, your cool stuff found. We try to answer your questions. These are questions that you, yes, you, can send in to us at feedback at macgeekgab.com. We try to share your questions, answer your questions, share your tips, share your cool stuff found. The go- We put it together into an agenda. Uh, we try to have some fun with it. The goal is every single one of us learns at least five new things. Every week when we get together, there it is. And sometimes Pete will even play that sound, which clearly he still has some echo cancellation on because it sounded pretty wonky. Uh, sponsors for this episode include... Collide. We're at collide.com slash MGG. You get a device security solution that uses Slack and educates your users. It's now tailor-made for Okta. We'll talk more about that in depth in a minute as well. Rocketmoney.com slash MGG. They will cancel your subscriptions for you. They'll help you monitor your spending. It can save you hundreds per year. Again, rocketmoney.com slash MGG. We'll talk about that in a little bit too. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, at least while we're recording this, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is Jennifer Brunn. And here at an undisclosed bunker somewhere in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where I am today. Uh, welcome, everybody. It's Pilot Pete. And let me say to the people that are listening live today, right now, as we record, happy Mardi Gras. And to all of you listening on the show, I uh, hope you're well into your Lenten self-deprivation. There you go. It's, uh, now Lent. That's right. We are recording early. I said I'm in I'm in Durham while we record this. Yep. I'm going to be in Cancun. Uh, we're we're going to to stand barefoot in the sand and and watch fish on the beach for uh, for a few days. So that's where giving we will up be. Snow for Lent? Are you, Dave? Uh, it turns out I am giving up snow for Lent. Yes, uh, we're we're getting. We actually we got a little bit of snow the morning that we recorded this, but we're supposed to get like another eight inches or something over the next couple of days. So. Hopefully, if the power does go out, my gen- my standby generator, the the silly uh, fix that they were supposed to have done to that actually works. I can't control that, though. So we're just going to do the show and uh, hope and, you know, we'll figure it out. Todd has There's our idea. Todd has our next tip our our next quick tip. He says, I use the Mac OS calendar and I you and I used to use the go to date uh, screen uh, keyboard shortcut command shift T to go to a date. That same keyboard shortcut works in busy Cal, by the way. Uh, but back to Apple calendar, Todd takes us lately. He says, I have found it easier to click on the year button at top center. Now I have the entire year in front of me and I can simply, simply quick 
click quick. I can easy for me to say. I can simply Steve, you, got, you need to get some new lips, man. This is you're having a rough day. <laughs> clearly, I already have Mexico on the brain and I can simply click on the day I want. Need a different year? Click on the left, right arrows uh, in the upper right to move years. He says, somehow I find this easier than the go to date shortcut, then typing the month tab, type the day tab, type the year it says you can use the arrow keys to change those numbers up and down as well. But the year view works fine for me. No, I can, I get this, especially, and I, we all visualize things differently. Um, you know, for example, time, I visualize on an, on an analog watch, right? Even if I'm reading digital time, my brain translates it. The calendar I think of as like this, uh, you know, the, and I can't remember the, the, the name of the, the ride, but it's, it's the, the thing where it goes fast the enough roundup. that it sticks you the roundup. Exactly. Yeah. That's how I think of a calendar, but I think about it, um, like in, in almost a, a 3d view it's, it's bizarre, right? So, uh, maybe it's bizarre. Maybe it's how everybody does. I don't know, but it's what works for me. So I can totally see where for at least some of us clicking and seeing the year view to then navigate, let your brain stay in whatever visual mode your brain is in, as opposed to having to translate it to, yeah, I want to see July 27th. Now I need to think about that. That's actually July, the number 27 in the year, you know, by typing it in. I can totally see how that that makes sense. And if this was far too much of a glimpse into my uh, my ready for Cancun brain, well, sorry. Uh, well, thanks, Todd. That's a good one. I like these tips. I, I like I like I like workflow tips that that you know can make things more efficient. It's good stuff. I don't know. I, I, how do you navigate around the calendar, Pete? Uh, I generally just go to date. I like the month view. Um, and you know, I, I've never given it much thought when I need to go to a year, I, I seem, or, you know, to a previous year or something, I, I'll go to the year view and then scroll up or down. Yeah. I've He's never, using the year I've view never, for like this year. That's the part, like yeah. just to get to a date, even if it's, you know, in yeah. two months or something. So, yeah, I, I find myself working in this month and next month so often that, that I generally just look at month view. In fact, I get a little screwed up. If I if I get down into the week view, I feel like I'm looking at my data through a straw. You know, the whole iPhone screen is too yeah. small. Yeah. The week the week view is too small on the phone. Yeah, I, I, I mean, use BusyCal on both and uh, on both Mac OS and iOS. The the week view on BusyCal, even in portrait mode, is is right for me. I can see I think I've got it set to okay. see three or four days at a time, which the way I work my life is 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 right but on my desktop i see 14 days at a time in week view in busy cal and uh, and that really lets me have a picture of what's going on and if i need to change time zones i can change time zones in busy cal and it obviously shifts things around and i can see two time zones at once if i want it's so yeah. um i it, will it, say this yeah. taking a time zone so i anchor my, my laptop never leaves eastern time you said that yeah, it yeah. makes so sense. Wherever I am in the world, I leave that on Eastern time. My watch and my phone are local time and that sort of thing. But I always know what time it is at home. And then I never have to worry about did my calendar alert or alarm cue me at the right time. So if I'm out on the West Coast oh, yeah. and I have a recording at 1 p.m. Eastern time, then at you know at 9.30 Pacific time, I get, hey, 30 minutes to recording. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I mean, 
it would do that even. And it does a nice job. I'll say the phone comes up with, hey, you know, it's 930 local and, and you've got a recording in half yeah. an hour. Okay. So it does a nice job of anchoring. But yeah, I was going to say, I change, I let my time zones change in my calendar and I never, well, I shouldn't say never. I yeah. almost never have an issue with, uh, with, with it, you know, cause it, it just adapts. It knows the, right. where I have an issue is when people, I, I, I've got mindset, so I don't create events like this. I don't mean to say that I'm like perfect and somehow can never make a mistake, but this mistake I have engineered against, I've protected myself against However, if I get an event from someone else that is in what my calendar refers to as floating time zone, a.k.a. no time zone, that screws me up. Because if I'm home, let's say when I put that in, it now is in Eastern time. If I then and my calendar will now make it Eastern time, regardless of what it was supposed to be. So if somebody if I'm meeting somebody at 2 p.m. Central in Austin next month, uh and they send me a floating time zone event, I put it in as 2 p.m., uh, you know, that's going to be a problem. So, because it'll, because it'll adapt to 1 p.m. Austin time. Or, uh, yeah, one yeah, it would be 1 p.m. Austin time central. So, anyway, yeah. Anything to add to that, John? I got Zulu converters. Yeah, right. Zulu <laughs> converters. Yeah, exactly. Um, when I schedule events, like when we were um, in another time zone, I'll typically schedule it while I'm here, but I'll subtract or add the hours so that when I do get into the time zone, um, everything is correct. Interesting. So why do you, I'm curious why you even have to bother. I mean, if you put it in at, at, you know, like Pete said, 1 PM Eastern time, if your time zone on your devices changes, it will be 10 AM Pacific time. Like you don't need to overthink that. I don't, Unless unless you've experienced something that informs you that you do need to overthink that. But but that's what I'm saying is if I put stuff in as long as the time zone's not floating, which is rare, that that's that's very much an, an asterisk scenario. For the mm-hmm. most part, all events come in with a time zone assigned and that, then it's it's just converted from Zulu time. Like like you said, Pete, it's it's always anchored mm-hmm. to Zulu time. Everything is. Yeah. Right. So, I mean. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, is more to add to that, John? Do you have any context for that? Or nope. Okay. Um, I was working with one of my bandmates recently. We with one of the bands I I'm in. We use a Google Calendar to share dates and all of that. Uh, we we recently changed the calendar that we use. I'm still not sure why we we did that. We had one Google Calendar. We moved to another one. Not sure why, but anyway, what that meant was it's a brand new calendar. And one of the guys texted me and said, I can't get this to add to my iPhone. It doesn't show up in the list. I'm like, oh, it shows up fine for me. And then I thought, well, wait, I'm using BusyCal. I'm just logging that into my Google account its own way. Let me look on my iPhone, you know, and see. And sure enough, I couldn't see it either in my iPhone calendar. And I'm like, what's going on here? It had been so long that I had forgotten about the secret Google calendar iPhone select screen. It's ridiculous what I'm about to tell you. If you if you haven't experienced this before, great. Maybe you never will. And if you have, you're going, right, I remember this. When you have calendars in Google Calendar, by default, most of them will not be exposed to your iPhone when 
it tries to, you know, generate a list of calendars for you to either show or not show. You have to log into Google and go to a URL. I'll say the URL, but it's also in the show notes at MacGeekUp.com. You have to go to Google.com slash calendar slash iPhone select. And it's this horribly laid out, like it looks like a very programmer written screen that never got any styling or anything. But it's this ridiculous screen and with checkboxes next to the names of your calendars. And you have to check the names of your calendars that you want to appear uh, and be exposed to your iPhone. And then on your phone, you can choose whether to have them appear or not. It's crazy. It's crazy. So that's that. Um, so I share that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, so that's what I got. You want to take us to Robbie, John? Will. I will. Um Robbie says, I don't have many shortcuts that are real beneficial to me and have not explored the shortcut app capabilities until recently. I've listened to you guys talk about creating a shortcut to manipulate low power mode on the iPhone and some other shortcuts people have made. After exploring around in the shortcuts recently, I saw you could send a text message when something happens. And I thought, why would I want to send a text message when the Apple display results on the screen for me to see? Uh, now to the tip. My mother is in the elderly category, and a couple of days ago I was visiting her. I looked at her phone only to see it was in low power mode because the battery battery was almost dead. She does not answer my calls when her phone is dead. <laughs> um, the elderly people occasionally forget to plug in the phone to recharge. Then it came to me. I need to make a shortcut automation on her phone that sends me a text message when it goes into low power mode or the battery drops below some percentage so i can call her before the phone dies and tell her to plug the phone in cool i like it yeah it doesn't work when your 97 year old mother has a flip phone <laughs> oh just saying <laughs> right but the, fortunately one of those phones will last you know four days on a charge so <laughs> that's fair that, that's a really good point yeah my dad gets his iphone to last like three or four days on a charge um uh, I Yeah, I don't know what the magic is. I, I mean, I do. It's that he doesn't have a ton of apps on there that he uses all the time. Um, he's, and I you know, bet he's got four minutes a day of screen time. That's right? what. That's really what it is. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly to right. Screen. <laughs> My dad is not glued to his screen. He's a pretty technical guy, but but yeah, he's not. It's it, it, like being technical and having a screen addiction. Uh, it turns out are not uh, one and the same. You you can right. you can be technical and and have somehow avoided having a screen addiction. Um, I've long since deleted it, but years ago I was in a restaurant in California, and there was an entire family sitting at we're out, out to dinner, and they're all sitting there on their phones. Yep, with, you know, playing with their screens. And I snapped a picture of it and put it up on Twitter and wrote, you know, the, the hashtag togetherness. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> like I say, I since deleted that, but. Uh, all right. Yeah. All right. Uh, Nick has uh, the next quick tip for us. This is, I, I love that this stuff happens. Um, he says you can, uh, in Apple Notes, using an Apple Pencil, you can write tags. I, this is, which is amazing to me. He says what you write is, you know, you, you draw with your pencil the the hash time the sign the pound sign the whatever you want to call that 
and your tag words. So if you, you know, if you're making a note about this show, you can, you can write, you know, hash Mac geek gab then. So now you've got that just written scribbled in your own version of scribble. Uh, then you go back and tap on the word and a pop-up will come up and turn it into a tag. So if you're listening to the show and taking notes, I know some of you do, uh, it, it, you don't, it's certainly not mandatory, obviously when I mean, there's no gun, there's not, it's not going to be any quiz. Uh, but, uh, but if you're doing that, write it and, uh, and then just tap on it and it pops up if, uh, and offers to turn it into a tag. He's, he's got some context and some tips here about this. Nick says, this works best if you put the tags on a new line. And sometimes you have to scroll the tag off the top of the page and then scroll it back for notes to process it and recognize it as a potential tag. So thank you for that, uh, that quick tip and the context of actually getting it to work in the right way. Love it. Love it. Love it. It's cool stuff. Fun. Um, yes, sir. Tags allow you to then search for an item with that tag at a later time. That's yes. Good question. That's exactly right. Yep. Cause I'm like, I don't think I've ever used tags. Yeah. Right, yeah. I just want to clear that up. Yeah. Now, tags. Now and notes. I will. Yeah. It's, it's yet another compartmentalization organizational uh, tool that you can use. Yeah. And, and you're right. That's perhaps the buried, uh, buried lead here is, is, yeah. is that, okay. th- yeah, you can do that. Yeah, exactly. Get that into your workflow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, Fun stuff. Help obviate, should help obviate the need for find any file. Sorry. Now you got to put that in the show notes. Find any file. Oh, the, 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 the <laughs> cool stuff found. The little, well, it, yeah, the little freeware app. Will uh, that search app, notes to find any file? I bet. It, I think it searches any. You can, it gets really granular. You can go down into, you know, I want a, a PDF file with the word, you know, silly in it. And you know, you can, the contents is, and it's really granular and it will, it will search your network drives, your attached storage. Um, that is super, it's super powerful. I find it to be faster than spotlight and certainly better. You, like I say, you can get more granular. You can say, I want this type of file. I want, it has these contents. Yeah. That sort of thing. I, I gotta, I, I know I have it. It's, it's not in my, um, it's not, you know, it's not in my, yeah. my, my default, like my fingers don't know to just launch it and use it when I need to do a thing. And I'll tell you, Dave, it's, uh, we mentioned it on the show several months back when it first came up and yeah. it, it, it quit. That's one of the ones that quickly fell into my workflow. Find any file in, I think he, had, I think it was a $5 donation is what's requested. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's like but, Thomas but, Templeman apps or something like that. I think he's yeah, the one that makes it. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super powerful little app. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, Craig has a little something to share back in episode 967. Pete, you were sharing the issue with your AirPods auto connecting to your phone when a call comes in. And Mm -hmm. Craig's been through this. He says this will happen unless you configure a setting known as connect when last connected in your AirPods setup. Uh, he says, and that way when you, you need, so he says you need to go to each device, connect the AirPods and then enable this setting. So that, cause that's the only time you can change those settings. Okay. The default setting is automatically. And that's, what's driving you crazy is that it bounces things around. He says the, the setting is device specific and does not travel with the AirPods. This does defeat that auto connect feature that you, uh, that you ran into. So thank you for yeah, that. Craig. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Pretty good. 
Um, on the subject of AirPods and very specifically the second generation AirPods Pro, Mark in uh, Mark M, I shall say, in our Discord channel says, uh, I just found out by accident and turns out necessity. I forgot to bring a charger for my AirPods Pro Gen 2, but I did bring my Apple Watch puck charger. Turns out you can charge your AirPods Pro case, uh, Gen 2 case, on the Apple Watch puck. He says this might be old news to many, but it's news to me. I, it, I, when I read this, I, like I had some memory of it, but I, I don't, I think if somebody asked me, can I do this? I would have said no. Um, so yeah, interesting. See, I missed that it was the second generation and I'm like, yeah, I tried several times with the puck and the, and the AirPods pro first generation Yeah, yeah, and it never did work. Here's the other cool thing about AirPods pro second generation. If you have a case with an air tag, on it to find your AirPods, you no longer need that because it makes the exact same. There's an AirTag built into the AirPods Pro second generation. Correct. Case. Yeah. So yeah, it, it will. It works with Find My perfectly. Makes the same sound, and now you've got an extra AirTag. Right. You know. Yeah, it's so smart that uh, I mean, so you can stock your wife. You know. And, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? Well, yeah. <laughs> I do. I mean, like for the people that are in, in your family, you get you can see where they are, and you can see where yeah. uh, you know their, their devices. I think even yeah. are. Yeah. They did change, and I, I like. There are times when this is frustrating to me, but I, I understand, and it's good, and I, I'm appreciative for the change. It used to be that I could set an alert to tell me when you know, when alert me, when my wife, uh, you know, leaves the house so that I know, you know, yeah, meet me at the club or whatever. Um, now I can still do that, but it alerts my wife that I have started actively getting notifications about her, her location. Yeah. What up with that Apple? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's how good. Are we, are we supposed to be creepy Apple? <laughs> I, I mean, I get it. Right. I'm totally with, yeah. with, I yeah. like, I understand why it happens. I just, I had gotten so used to doing it like, oh, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to just sit at my desk and sort of plow through, you know, my to-do list. But when my wife gets home, we're going to go out to dinner or, or, you know, do a thing, whatever, you know. And so I would set an alert to tell me, oh, she, she just left, you know, the gym and she's on her way home. Now I know I've got 20 minutes to wrap up the one thing I'm in, get changed or whatever. And off I go. And I've stopped doing that because I, because, well, I, I, I suppose because I never told her in the past that I did that. Um, not that it, I was using it for like creepy reasons, but I realized, oh, if I do, if now, if I do this, she's going to get notifications. She's going to think I'm stalking her, which obviously I am, uh, you know, she's going to be hundred percent correct about that. But, yeah. but yeah, the, the convenient, I have stopped using it for convenience. Maybe me, that, that's the way to say it. And I, I, I don't like that. Maybe I just need to just start doing it again and, and tell her, say, don't, hey, don't worry about it. this. Yeah. yeah, yeah well, exactly. And, and yeah. she'll understand. And of let course. me, let me clarify for the pit, for the listeners that don't know your setup. You're in a separate building across the driveway from your home and you don't have the, you have the windows blacked out for studio reasons. Correct. So you can't see or hear when she pulls up in the driveway. So, well, I, I yeah, do absolutely. now because she, she now that she drives that WRX, that thing's loud. 
Oh. So, but if I have headphones in, I won't hear it, right? Sure. Like, yeah. yeah. So, so exactly. Yeah. But here's the other thing that they've they've also done because this creeped my daughter out last summer, I believe it was, when she went to work and she got she got home that night and then it notified her, hey, someone's air tag is with you. And she's oh. like, really? Is I'm pulling in the driveway? You're finally notifying me? Well, it was on my keys. She sure. borrowed my yeah. car to go to work. Yeah. And it was on my keys. But now I think it says Pete's air tag is with you yeah it, so it, it tells you whose it is yep it, well you know per the name that's that's stored in there so yep so. yep yep yeah i get that too and it's weird when it decides to notify you because if i take my wife's car it, it you know she often will leave her purse just in the car in in the garage yeah. and if i'm going out to you know pick up you know chinese food or something i just go yeah. take it and it's like you know I'm almost back home with the food. And it's like, you know, someone's air tag is with you. It's like, well, this is a heck of a time to tell me. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. And as I pull in my driveway, yeah. now they know where I live. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks for, yeah, exactly. Good, good thing. I had no opportunity to lose them. Uh, Pete, you had a, a, a great little quick tip that you shared in, in pre-show. Would you, would you share it again now for me, please? Yeah. So how many times have you ever said, been told in your iPhone, Hey, go to settings, go to, uh, here's a classic one because it's, it's nested. Go to, you know, software update. Okay. Well you first, you got to know where that is. Well, it's in general. So you got to scroll down until you find general and then, but here's your simple answer. Open settings. Put your finger in the middle of the iPhone screen, touch it, and pull down about a quarter inch. And at the top, you'll get a little search window. Then you just type in update, and it'll take you right to all your update settings. So I like it. It's one of those things that most of us probably know, but if you've ever found yourself scrolling and scrolling and hunting for a nested setting on your iOS device, just pull down. you got a search window at the top. And it'll take you right to it. Cool. I like it. No, I use it all the time. I, yeah, I use it all the time. So, ah, all right, John, you have uh speaking of finding menus on devices, you found some not quite as some even harder to find things. Didn't you? Yes. So, um, I have a TCL Roku. TV, Roku being the operating system. Yeah. Um, and it's really nice, but I was having an issue with certain shows being too dark. Oh, you mentioned this. Oh, okay. And, and I, you know, I searched, you know, I Googled it, and I'm not the only one that had this problem. So I'm like, huh, well, is there a way to set HDR or other video parameters? And, and there is a way to set, like, the brightness and the contrast and stuff. But uh, I did. Uh, my instincts told me it was uh, an HDR issue. Yeah, I, I would have agreed with you. Yeah, yeah. In, 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 and I know you're going to share how you got there. In the end, was it an HDR issue? Did, was that was disabling? Uh, I believe HDR? it was. Yes. Great. Okay. Now, how'd you fix it? Um, I went to the Roku secret menu. Ooh. Really? <laughs> so yeah, in one of the threads that I saw talking about this, they're like, "Hey, by the way, um, there there's some." menus that you don't get on normally get on the tv but there's a whole bunch of ones that are buried in there and maybe there's something geeky enough um that'll help fix your problem 
Um, so here are the menus that they give you. Um, there's a wireless menu because it has Wi-Fi. Uh, images and ads menu. What? Okay, that, that sounds interesting. Um, all right, reset the secret menu. Um, another secret menu. Roku channel info secret menu. The HDMI secret menu. I think that's where I found the setting that fixed my problem. Okay. Wow. Yeah, so you can set the, you know, 4K frequency and, and, and stuff like that. Huh. Amazing. Wow. All right. Cool. Uh, so you were able to turn off HDMI and and now things don't get, get too dark for you? Or HDR. I, I HDR. I didn't mean HDMI. I, 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 yes. I, yes. No, I think I fiddled with one Can, of the Cancun HDMI mouse. settings. Cool. Amazing. Huh. <clears throat> I would have thought, yeah, yeah, no, HDR sometimes. I mean, it depends on the TV and how it interprets it and all that stuff. But sometimes, yeah, 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 yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Ooh, there's that sound. That sound means that I get to take a minute here and tell you about our sponsor, Collide. And Collide has some big news because if you're an Okta user, they can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. How? Well, if a device as part of your network, as part of your user base isn't compliant, then that user can't log in to your cloud apps until after they've fixed the problem. It's that simple. Collide patches one of the major holes in zero trust architecture, device compliance. Without Collide, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date. Unsecured devices are logging into your company's apps because there's nothing there to stop them. Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication right there at that moment. And it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment that Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set period of time, they're blocked. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. Visit collide.com slash MGG to learn more or book a demo. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash M-G-G. And our thanks sincerely to Collide for sponsoring the show and sponsoring this episode. Hey, I just found out the average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Think about that. If you think you're only subscribed to a handful of services, you might want to double check with our sponsor, Rocket Money, you can quickly identify and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of us have a subscription or more than a subscription that we've forgotten about. Like that streaming service that you bought just to watch one show on or that free trial that you've never even used. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify all of your subscriptions for you. So you get to see and then you can stop paying for the ones that you don't want. When you don't want one, it's great. You just find the subscription you don't want in Rocket Money's interface and you press cancel. That's it. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. I've talked about it on the show. I've done this. 
It's amazing how simple it is. The Wall Street Journal is one of those companies that does not have a cancel button on their site. And the subscription is like 450 bucks or 500 bucks, even for like the, the quote unquote, you know, inexpensive digital only one or whatever. No, I, like, I, I didn't want to have to call them. I, my time is valuable. I, I want to spend my time prepping Mac Geek Cab and doing this show for you. And Rocket Money lets me because I just clicked cancel and they took care of it. So great. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash MGG. That's rocketmoney.com slash MGG. One more time, rocketmoney.com slash MGG. And our thanks to Rocket Money for sponsoring this episode. All right. Let's, uh, let's take some questions here. Chuck sent in one that hopefully we can... At least glean. We can come up with, well, we'll see where we go. He says, uh, my wife's new M2 MacBook Air uh, freezes every once in a while. She's using the Ventura. At the time he sent the email, it was 13.2. My guess is he has updated to 13.2.1. Uh, in fact, I know he hasn't. It hasn't fixed, fixed it. He says, uh, when it locks up, I try to force quit various apps to try to isolate the application that's causing the hangup. Okay. The trackpad click stops working. But I can move the cursor and use the return key to quit an app once the cursor is in the right place. But in that case, quitting the finder doesn't cause a restart, even after manually force quitting each app until there's none left running. Save the finder. I finally resort to a manual shutdown by holding the power button. When I quit each app uh, one at a time, the lockup is not cured. I haven't checked the activity monitor yet to see if there's a memory hog bogging down the system. But uh, starting application uh, activity monitor could be complicated by these freezes because I can't click anything. By the way, my M1 Air also runs Ventura and doesn't have this problem. We'd, we've made sure everything's up to date. Um, <clears throat> so this is an interesting one. It, 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 you know, looking at the symptom of it being, it seems like the trackpad simply stops letting him click or her click. And that's interesting because the trackpad is software based on these machines. Uh, I mean, it has haptic feedback. It's certainly a piece of hardware. It is sensing the pressure that you put on it, but it's not actually moving uh, in any way. So it makes sense if there's some software agent that manages the trackpad. If it gets hung up, well, no clicky. My my first thought, Chuck, is try Using an external mouse, like plug one in when this is happening, can you click with that? Like, is it something about the trackpad, either the hardware or the software? My guess is it's software because a reboot solves it. So it's probably not hardware, um, but, you know, anything's possible. It's too consistent to be hardware, right? Like when this problem happens, it's that the trackpad stops, but a restart fixes it. That's why I'm thinking not hardware software, um, but I could be wrong. Feedback at MacGeekUp.com. Please tell me. Uh but um, feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That would be the yeah. One. I think it was feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Yeah, that's it. Thanks, guys. Yeah. I, so I've got the answer. You have the answer, Pete. Go. Yeah. I'm going to stop rambling. It's an interrupt conflict. Oh my gosh. Yep. Jeez. Pete, get out. Sorry, get dude. Out. I had to do- get out. <laughs> I had to do that, man. I'm sorry. Right? Remember that was. Oh, back I remember. In the day? Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I can't believe you did that to me. Get out. That's it. You believe me, don't you? You're, you're uninvited. <laughs> uh, oh, well, you know what they say. Yeah. You, 
Can't fix stupid. Yeah, all good things must come to an end. Um, well, that's what the software people say. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the hardware people say it's a software problem. That's well, right. It's a hardware problem. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, 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 like, that would be my first test. Is is this something about the operating system that's not letting anything click, or is it? That particular, you know, that that haptically driven trackpad that's part of the, the MacBook Air, whatever that software is. And I think, in fact, I know that there is also a way to trigger a click with the keyboard by leveraging accessibility. I don't know that that how to do that off the top of my head, but there is a way. So that would be another if you don't have a third party mouse with you and you experience this and or, you know, you're going to it might not be a bad idea to set that up in advance so that at least you have a path that's better than power, you know, just force powering down the machine. Um, yeah. I don't know. Oh yeah. yeah. TN Papa in yeah. the chat room. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. He, he at MacGeekup.com slash discord shares um, again, using activity monitor. So launching it, perhaps you'd have to just leave it launched all the time, which is not a terrible thing to do, but look in there for a stalled process, they generally appear in red, and that might help, you know, guide the the troubleshooting path here. Yeah, I don't know anything else. Um, sometimes, yeah, it hasn't happened for a while, but um, sometimes if your machine locks up and is non-responsive, um, if you now normally you shouldn't do this, but I found sometimes that this can help analyze the problem. If you hold down the power key, the machine will shut down. And when you start it up, sometimes it will know that something terrible happened. And it's like, hey, do you want to see the crash report? I'm like, okay. Yep. I and, and the crash report will show you, you know, hang or, you know, some other reasons um, that the computer got upset. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, what is it that, uh, that don't get old? It's bad for your memory. There, there's a process you can launch, and you can look through all the logs that uh, also. Um, uh, console. Console. Thank you. Yeah. Would it be in console, you think? I mean, maybe. <clears throat> Reading console logs in today's world, if in the last <laughs> few versions of Mac OS. Got a, got a few hours? It sucks. No, <laughs> you you have to. This is one of those things where it is a skill that, you need to develop and trying to do it for the first time in the moment of having an issue is, is just going to lead you down a yeah. path of desperation and, and frustration and probably smashing things. Um, but the way to read console logs is to use the live filters. So it's essentially a search box in there that, well, one way, I don't want to say the definitive way, but one way to sort of make sense of and, and start sort of, sort of, you know, putting a, a filter on the river of, of crap that just pours out into the console. It, yeah. Is uh, the river of crap. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, okay. There's a, there's an image here and it's, it's not exactly incorrect with what you get when you're looking. Cause you, you're about as happy seeing, seeing the river as, as you are seeing the console logs without making yeah. any sense of it, but you can put a live filter on it. So it will only show you things that uh, are, you know, that match your filter in, again in real time. So, uh, 
God. I, you know, I'm, I'm usually able to ignore the stuff in the chat room, guys, but I can't. They're um, not a sponsor. No, I'm going to say it. Car- you, Carnival is not a sponsor. You say it, Pete. Sure. Yeah. Tennessee Poppas in the chat room says, I think Carnival sails on that river. So <laughs> he may be right. <laughs> yeah. I'm usually pretty good at letting that stuff go and enjoying it without sharing you're, it. You're punchy today, Dave. You're I am punchy, punchy today. You and that's, talk. You're ready to go to Mexico. <laughs> that is funny, though. Like, that's really funny. <laughs> I think Carnival sails on that river. Yeah. Wow. My wife being a travel agent, I'm going to share that with her. <laughs> uh, all of you, get out. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, but filtering it down. The problem with filtering it down, of course, is you need to know what to filter. And and so, you know, like th- that starts to get sort of interesting um, and also frustrating. You can experiment with things. You know, you might be able to look at trackpad. You might look at, uh, what is it, HID? Right, because that's the human interface device. That's the, the the shortcut. But see, these are the things you would just sort of need to know from, say, doing a podcast for almost eighteen years, where you 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 dive into this stuff. Um, before that appeared in the chat room, <clears throat> someone Ev the Nerd asked any tips on how to read a, cra- a crash report. So I think this is more going back to not the console, but but your comment, John. What I do. I, I essentially read from top to bottom. Now at the very top is going to be some just setup information. Here's the version of Mac OS that's running. Here's the time, all of this you will see. And I don't have one in front of me to help you with this. I, I apologize. It's sort of an on the fly thing and, and maybe we'll revisit it. But in general, it will tell you somewhere in the first page, maybe page and a half before it starts listing all the processes and everything that was happening on the different threads. It will tell you which thread crashed or which process crashed. To me, that is the most important thing that as an end user, I can uh, I can use. And so I will look for that. And if it says it's thread 15 that crashed, then you can scroll down to thread 15 and see what that thread was doing. You're going to see, I mean, you're going to see some things in there that are gibberish to all of us because we're not the developer of the, the software running in that thread. But there should be some things that resemble English words or some process names or application names or something where you're like, Oh, I see it was while it was, you know, indexing my photos that it crashed. So, okay. If this happens again, maybe I have a corrupted photo in there. Like, you know, those are the thought. I mean, I, I realize I'm like mixing examples here, but that's the kind of thing. That's how I read a crash log. I I would be, that this would be a great thing to sort of crowdsource. I was going to say feedback at MacGeekUp.com. But I would rather do this in Discord because we really get like the the hive mind together sure. there. Sure. So com slash Discord. We'll start a thread about uh, how to read crash reports in the, uh, in the live room because that's where it came up. And uh, we'll go from there. So I don't know. Do you guys have any uh, any other thoughts? It's an interrupt conflict. Move on. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, I, yeah, I don't think I have anything more on this, but hopefully it's, uh, hopefully checking the, you know, heading down the path of the mouse would, would be the, the answer there for you, Chuck. Uh, last episode, two episodes ago and last episode, we talked about next, next DNS. 
uh, as a solution for a few different things. And listener Joe asked a pretty good question. He says, um, is it safe? A user on the Mac power users uh, forums proposed using next DNS to block ads on Apple news, which are super annoying. The same ad appears over and over again, each time, each screen that you scroll. And the idea was using next DNS to uh, essentially make lookups to Apple's ad server fail. So from a, you know, from an engineering standpoint, I, I like this idea. Not a huge fan of ad blocking because my life has been supported by sponsors for a long time. I, I think you can do better by choosing sponsors that are actually at least you're interested in it. Your audience, therefore, might be interested in. You might not drive them crazy. We don't talk about the same sponsor 14 times in the same show. We talk about them twice, once in the beginning, once in the middle. That's my opinion on how to do sponsorship the right way. I, I totally uh, empathize with how Apple is doing it the wrong way. So I don't necessarily I'm not necessarily against this idea. But what that means is you're installing next DNS on your device. And Joe asks, is this safe? Are there any downsides you can think of? If I try to do it on my Mac or my iPhone, will it behave nicely with my Xfinity modem and my Eero? So I had never used next DNS, but I installed it. And um, it's it like it seems fine. It. Next DNS gets to see all of your DNS lookups, as you might imagine, because they are all of your DNS lookups are redirecting through them. That's by design. That's how the service works. Um, there is one option in Next DNS that you would have to turn off, and that is the option that allows you to skip Next DNS on known Wi-Fi networks. So you can flag certain Wi-Fi networks and say, like, okay, on my home network, I don't need to use Next DNS. Uh, you know, on my work networks, I don't need to use it. I want to use the local DNS for for those. If you want to block ads on Apple News, you would have to let Next DNS run anywhere that you might read Apple News. Otherwise, it's not going to work. So you'd have to turn that part off. And that then might cause issues uh, if you are doing things that rely on your device using your local DNS, like custom DNS names. Uh, for your devices and, and that sort of thing. So is it safe? I think so. Um, is it going to cause you any problems? Well, maybe, but you know, it's one of those things where try it out. If you start having problems, well, turn it off. Did the problems go away? Yes. Okay. Well, that might answer the question, then, you know? So yeah, I, I think it's okay to experiment with. Yeah. I, I, I mean, as a, as a company, um, it seems all right, as long as you're okay with them seeing, potentially seeing all of your, your lookups. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Any, any thoughts on that? Uh, Mr. Actually, I'm not going to ask you a yes or no question. That's my fault. What are your thoughts on that, John? Give it a whirl. It's, it it's one part of the chain that you can use to, um, block certain content. Yeah. So, I personally don't use um, a third-party DNS. Yeah. Do you use Apple News? Do you read a lot of stuff in Apple News? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The ads don't drive you crazy? No. That's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I think most people are are tolerant of ads that are not obtrusive. It's the ones that block the whole middle of your screen and are continuous. Like you said, and over and over and over again. Yeah. I don't mind. I don't mind a relevant ad. Same. They're great. You know, they can I, be great. I we buy stuff from sponsors. Right. It's like literally how you learn about products. Like there's it's ads yeah. aren't inherently bad. There are just many 
many new ones every day, bad ways of implementing ads. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't think they're a current sponsor, but I, I know there's been shows that, you know, I've listened to one password and listened to their ad specifically to learn about a feature in it that may, I may or may not be using. So when it's done right. Yeah. That's. Yeah. We try to do it right. I do like that next DNS lets you do this yes. on your iPhone because you could this idea of, of forcing a, a DNS uh, redirect or a DNS lookup to fail is a time honored practice, right? You know, that whole concept of going and downloading a, 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 what we call a hosts file of all the known ad servers and installing that on your Mac to cause all those redirects to, or those lookups to fail then keeps the ads from appearing. It's just sort of the way it works. If you can't do the right. DNS lookup, can't load the content. The problem is you can't implement that on an iPhone uh, the way you can on a Mac. You can't get to the terminal on an iPhone and, and edit the Etsy host file and yeah, and all that. So like next DNS, it's cool that it, it, it sort of steps in the way of that and lets you do that. It's a, it's a different, I'd never used an app like next DNS before. John, you should check this out. Just the way you turn it on and you have to go in and like give it permission to interrupt your DNS queries. I didn't even know that that was a thing on the iPhone. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. The thing is, and the, I think the other thing you want to do is be careful of being too aggressive on your ad blocking because it will become a cat and mouse game that yeah. makes them so obtrusive. Yeah, right. Yeah, I get, it could get worse. Yeah, pop-up blockers yeah. failed for a while. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I think, yeah, if, if, you know how, if you know how to code, I think you can detect somebody who's blocking ads and not render the page properly because yep. yeah it's it's oh, on the web it's super easy to do that yeah 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 people hate you when you do that by the way we tried that at mac observer i mean we tried a lot of things at mac observer you know but um but yeah people 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 were furious about that i was like why are you furious You're trying to you know the price for viewing our content is looking at our ads that we choose to show you like it's okay anyway uh yeah, yeah. uh chris we let you skip your ad, the ads here. I don't know if, how many of you know, like in general, I don't know how many of you know about chapters here on Mac Geek Cap. Uh, we chapterize everything. So most podcast players now, we've been doing this for, you know, 16, 17 of our almost 18 years. But uh, now most pod, pod catchers, the apps that you use to play podcasts, support chapters. So you can jump around from segment to segment. Like, for example, I just started a new chapter uh, at the 50 minute and four second mark here for this particular like side discussion. So if you don't care about this, you can skip it. If you want to come back to it, you can skip it. I put chapters around every ad. So if you already know about a sponsor, if you're already a, a customer of them, you don't care to learn about any of the new tips that might be in the ad, you skip right over. It's totally fine. Uh, you know, people think we're crazy for letting you do that. We've been letting you do that since early, early on. And I think it has worked out to our mutual benefit. Ours here as the publishers of the show, but yours as the listeners too. We're all adults here. Um, you know, choose what you want to do. Does it help us when you visit the sponsor's webpage and consider their product? Yes. Uh, sometimes it even helps us if you buy, we don't get like a commission on it, but you know, they, they track that stuff and then they might renew. So it is good for us if you look at the sponsors, but I'm not going to beat you over the head with it. Like, you know, but yeah, the chapters you use for all kinds of things. So yeah, check them out in your podcast app. Yeah. yeah. 
It's a cool thing. Um, Chris started as a question, and thankfully it ended with Chris figuring out his problem because I don't know that I would have ever thought of this. So I'll share his question, and then I'll just jump sort of to the answer, but just so we can have some some context here. He says, I have a weird safari issue. It is syncing, mimicking, mirroring between my Mac Studio and my M2 MacBook Air. Uh, he says, I've got a, a, and he describes his computers, all running the, the latest Ventura 13.2.1. He says, I typically run my iMac and Mac Studio simultaneously with universal control, to expand my screen real estate. And I will tell you him saying that was a huge red herring because it made us dive down the path of universal control. And it wasn't this. Um, he says this morning, I decided to update my MacBook air and play with it. And instantly when opening Safari, I noticed that whatever was opened on my MacBook air was mirroring on my Mac studio and vice versa. And so it really came down to all three devices. If he did something in Safari on one device, it would happen on the other. It wasn't like he was controlling the mouse or the keyboard. It was that he was controlling Safari and only Safari. But it was near instantaneous that he would open a new tab, do a thing, and boom, Safari would mirror on all of his devices. I, you know, couldn't figure it out for a little bit. Uh, and he says, uh, I got caught with tab groups. He says, uh, turns out that using tab groups in Ventura, the changes, uh, assuming you're connected to the Internet and everything, all else is equal. The changes are near instantaneous. So being inside the same tab group on all three uh, devices caused that tab group then to, you know, update in real near real time uh, and and have a a somewhat mirrored experience if he were to type something into like a web form on one computer that wouldn't appear on the other but having those tab groups come up uh does sync it up so it's it, interesting i I'm, I'm sure there are scenarios where this could actually be leveraged in an interesting way you know some kind of kiosk type scenario i don't know like there's something here but um but good to know if you start seeing Safari, if if there's ghosts in the Safari, then uh, then maybe you'll know why. So thank you for sharing that with us, Chris. And thank you for figuring it out, because I don't know if we ever yeah. would have. I, uh, I I don't use tab groups. I, I need to dig into them, though. Like, I think I probably could get a lot of use out of them. But I uh, the, the new version, the new implementation of tab groups is very different than what it you know, what it was in the past. So, yeah. I don't know. Thoughts? Anything? John? Any? No. What are your thoughts on that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Get out! Everybody out! Uh, <laughs> all right, Pete. Uh, in 968, we uh, talked about uh, photos of some sort and, and digitizing them, I think, right? Uh, maybe not. Maybe I'm. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I don't know if it was in the show or not. We got a question, though, from Tony C., who lives in Thailand, uh, and he's back in the States this week, but uh, visiting yeah. to uh, family. But uh, he asked about digitizing photos, um, and we had two different answers for him. Um, my answer was uh, just because my wife, about probably about two years back needed to digitize a bunch of photos and wouldn't take my suggestion, which is to use your day gum phone. You know, it works good, works good, lasts a long time. Uh, 
But I get it because there's reflections and inconsistencies and keystone issues and all that if you're using your phone, unless you're using a perfect stand of some sort. So she bought a flatbed scanner, a uh, Epson V39 scanner, and it was it's $109. And it does a fabulous job of scanning your photos, putting them out, digitizes them all. And uh, we've had good success with that, taking our old paper, particularly the older paper photos that were never digital of your grandparents and sure. great-grandparents and that sort of thing. I have one of my great-grandfather who was uh, a head swimming coach at Pennsylvania for 40 years. And, wow. Uh, yeah. Those are all digitized now, but they, they weren't back in the day. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> no digital cameras in the 19-teens. No, it turns out there weren't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Huh? So, and it works well for you, huh? Yeah, for 109 yeah. bucks. Yeah, yeah. I've got it. Yeah. Uh, we, we put a link in the in the show yeah. notes for it. And, and you had suggested a, a third-party service. Do you have any in particular? I don't any? have any in particular. My, my thought process was, look, you know, if this is something you're going to do over and over again, then, you know, certainly consider hardware. Um, because in the end, it's going to be, you're going to save money. You won't necessarily save time, but you will yeah. save money. If it's a one-time thing, my ad- advice is go to the pros. Y- you know, they, they've they done this many times before. Uh, y- y- you just give them your photos and, and then they give you a, you know, a memory stick back is usually how it works these days. It used yeah. to be a CD or, you know, or, may, or that maybe they're just online and you download them now. I don't know. But, um, but there, there are plenty of services out there uh, that will do this and, and they'll get it right for you. Whereas, you know, scanning them yourself, y- you might get halfway through and then realize, oh, you know, if I did it this way or if I set the resolution like that, I might be happier in the end in two years. And so now you're going back. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Obviously, we're all about like learning geeky skills here. Right. But. If it's truly a one-time thing and you you just can't imagine needing to do it again, maybe this isn't a skill you need to or want to develop. If it is a skill you want to develop, then by all means, you know, down the road. Go. I will add though that uh, if if you do send them off, by all means, please, 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 particularly if it's irreplaceable, make sure you have some sort of a copy. Probably uh, the coolest photo ever taken of me was when I was when I landed an A4 on the deck of the USS Lexington my hook was in the wire and my wheel my main mounts were smoking and somebody snapped it at that perfect instant I sent the negative off to have it blown up into a poster and never saw it again no yeah yeah oh. like, you got to be kidding me i mean if this was you know magazine cover quality photo, oh, and it was Pete, me landing the airplane yeah yeah right yeah. right you know, so, oh, so. I'm sorry. I'll, to hear that, I'll, man. So. I'll suggest another one. I've, I've used uh, Epson scanners in the past. Um, if you're willing to spend a little bit more money, um, they have one called the Epson Fast Photo FF680W. Okay. Wow. Um, right. The thing is, is that it has a tray, so you don't have to, so you can, oh. you can put a whole bunch of photos in it. So it's a copy machine almost. Yeah. Uh, slides right through. Yeah. Pretty much, and and yeah. high huh. speed photo and document scanner. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So so quite a bit more money, four five times the price. Oh, yeah. But but 
if you're doing hundreds of these things, this would perhaps save your sanity. Um, there's no hope for mine, folks, but there is hope for yours. There's that. <clears throat> and so. I will add one other last thing along this line. If you're going to use a scanner there and you're buried in your monthly paper and all that stuff, David Sparks did a field guide several years back called paperless and he talks about how to use a scanner to digitize all your your statements as they come in though most people will allow you to download your statements and that sort of thing anymore but there's other paper that you want to keep digitize them and then you know unless you need the originals like all the all the mortgage closing oh statements, yeah all that stuff digitize them shred them yeah so. yeah and having a a, a sheet yeah. feeder for that kind of stuff makes a huge difference my absolutely my Lexmark laser printer uh, has, I mean, I bought it this way. It wasn't like it just yeah. came by surprise, but it is is—it is a multifunction device and it has a sheet feeder on it that will do double-sided stuff. In fact, it even right. prints double-sided. Having a double-sided printer it, it, in 2023, it's, you are, it, it sounds ridiculous for me to be excited about being able to print double-sided. It right. is a game changer for all, like there are some things for work that we just need to have printed because we use them in a way that you know and being able to print stuff even set lists for the band right like i mean i print a set list before every gig because trusting an electronic device to can keep everybody on the same page no bueno right you know it's gotta be but if i want to put the set list what i'll normally do for the band is you know I, i print out one page that's the the set list and then a second page that is what i call my back pocket songs that if if we don't want to play a certain song or we need extra songs it's like what's in the back pocket here it is well the back pocket was always a second piece of paper and it was you know it start floating around the 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 stage pretty quickly now it's literally on the back you know i just flip, if i need it you know break glass in case of emergency flip paper in case of emergency you're good to go right. there it is there's those tunes so having a double sided printer I, I i can't stress enough how 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 much we all appreciate that. But the sheet feeder is also a double-sided sheet feeder. So for things like those mortgage docs and, and you know, that makes a huge yeah. difference to be able to, yeah, to just printer I buy will do that. I don't have that current capability. Well, uh, it, the next time you need to do that, come on over, Pete, you're, you're welcome to use mine. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And the other thing I thought about um, while you were talking was uh, in that field guide it, 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 that I got out of it, many years ago it was like naming conventions he talks about all that so you can go back and find your stuff mm. um he does a nice job of putting those things so he, he does a real good well thought out here's how you get from paper to paperless so nice i put a link to yeah. to max sparky's paperless field guide in uh yeah. in the show notes at mackie so yeah. uh Last episode in 969 we were talking about cloud services and such and uh and listener adam asked he said uh he says about backups you were talking about iCloud drive and synology drive and it gave me an idea would it be crazy to just migrate all my documents that i keep in iCloud drive over to synology drive because if i did this i could theoretically reduce my iCloud plan to a cheaper tier and save a bunch of money what would the pitfalls of this be and yeah, I, I mean, I, I sort of glossed over this as an option when we were having that conversation. It is, in a sense, what I do uh, that I, I store my, my sort of 
main documents archive that goes back decades is on my Synology drive and therefore sync to all of my devices. For those of you that, that don't yet know Synology drive is, uh, is an app that you, I mean, it's a, it's a server-based thing that sits on your disk station, but it's also an app that you run on your Mac similar to Dropbox. And it just keeps things in sync. And you can of course, selectively sync different folders on different devices and all that fun stuff. Um, and it's what I do, and it allows me, A, to keep my data mine, and B, um, it's my storage, not n- not someone else's that I have to pay a subscription for. I choose my words carefully there because I do have to pay for the storage. I had to buy the hard drives, and when they die, I got to replace them. So um, the only pitfall that I run into with this is that the integration is non-native compared to iCloud Drive which means that specifically on iOS, on the Mac, it's, it's seamless. I don't even think about it. On iOS, Synology Drive has integration with Apple's Files app. It's like kind of wonky in that when you bookmark something, sometimes the bookmarks disappear. This is not specific to Synology Drive. I have the same problem with Google Drive and Dropbox on the, you know, the integration with the Files app. It's just not perfect. The, the files app, I guess, maybe the APIs for it or something are just not perfect. But uh, I mean, otherwise, yeah, it's totally fine. I can I can navigate to things and get there and do what I need to do. So uh, I would try it out. If you've got a Synology, yeah, try it out and see. The other question is, how much data are you storing in your iCloud drive that you could move to your Synology drive? And will it make a difference in the your storage requirements for iCloud Drive, it may or may not depends on what kind of data and how much you're storing uh, on iCloud Drive. So, um, yes. My other thought. All right, so iCloud is obviously in the cloud. Yeah. Um, and Synology Drive. If you use Synology Drive, there is the potential for you to put it both on the Synology and the cloud. Though I haven't played with it, and I should. They call it hybrid cloud. Hmm. So the data is in, in multiple places. So that, that would be my only comment is uh, you yeah. may want to consider that to get some redundancy. Sure. Sure. Some some storage redundancy. Yeah. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 Um, You just increase because you do. I think you do similar to me, John, that you have you use Synology Drive as well as iCloud Drive. And in, right. in the last episode, you said you increased your storage for iCloud Drive. My assumption, but I hate to just gloss over it, is not you did that not because your document storage started increasing, but because your photo storage started increasing. Is that right? That's my suspicion. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, you can look like iCloud Drive will tell you what where where your storage is being used if you um oh, yeah. you launch no, systems. And, and that's what led. Me. Lean forward, talk into the mic, please. And they like to hear me. you. That w- that's what led me to get more space because, yeah, at one point I was in the uh, iCloud settings and I was like, oh, manage storage. And I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know I was taking up that much. Mm, yeah. OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it'll it'll break it down too. it'll show like what what percentage of it is photos and what is, you know, documents versus, uh, you know, all the other it, things. So you can see. But you do not want your photos library on your Synology, correct? Well, you you know if you except there's a backup, you don't want to work off it. I guess is what your I'm live wondering. photos library. If you are using Apple's Photos app, right? I, I that is a hundred percent correct. It yeah. it like you don't you can't store Apple's photos on a network drive of any kind and have it be reliable. It needs to be on a local drive. 
I also, and I can't caution enough, would not have your photos library set up to two-way sync between any devices. One-way sync, great. You know, have what's on your Mac sync to, you know, your network storage device so that you've got a backup. Awesome. Two-way sync between two Macs. That's not like you, if you want to do that, you use iCloud photos. Trying to do it another way is, you know, beware there may be dragons. Like I can't stress enough. Yeah. So there is a Synology photos app and apparently that works very well. I haven't tried that. Yes. But yeah, that is separate that way. Yes. Totally separate app. Correct. It's a Synology app. It's a Synology app and you sync with that in a different way. You don't sync with that from, from photos Uh, on the, on the phone, your photos library can populate your Synology photos app and then it syncs it differently from there forward. But yes, there is that. So, yeah. So that's also kind of a one way sync from photos into another app. Yeah. You're doing it one way. So you don't, yeah. So it doesn't corrupt it. That's right. Yeah. That, that's that's the reason I still pay for iCloud and a lot of iCloud. Yeah. It's just the the danger of putting it on one drive in my basement and not having a failure or the house burned down and losing everything just isn't worth it to me. That's it's cheap insurance yeah. to lose photos of the kids. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I sync them to iCloud photos and I do the same thing. I have a copy on my on my Synology. And then I actually do have Synology photos feed from that copy. That lives yeah. on my thing. I don't sync it from any of my devices. I just have it see it locally. That's enough for me. So lots of layers. Lots of layers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We got time for one more thing. I'm going to share uh, in a recent episode, John uh, and Pete, we were talking about whether it was possible to uh, stream from our library stream video content from our libraries john you were saying you go to your library you rent blu-rays from them you know we we have libby for books where we can get books digitally without having to go to the library is there a way to stream from uh video content from your library and uh andrew the 8764th specifically in discord says uh your libraries might have digital video streaming via either Canopy with a K or Hoopla. Libraries usually have a download or streaming tab on their homepages and then list one or both of those services, though sometimes they'll get buried in the list of databases. I'll put links to Canopy and Hoopla in the show notes, but really uh, it's, you know, check with your library because that's where this starts. But but that would be the uh, the thing to ask. So thank you for for um, for sharing that. Andrew, this 8,764th. Hey, what's well, that background noise? That's the band, man. That's just how it be. What? All good things must come fun. to an end. I know. You're having too much fun. you got to get out. No. <laughs> uh, this has been time fun. for you to go to Mexico, man. It is almost <laughs> time for me to go to Mexico. That's right. I, got, uh, I think I have one more podcast to record this afternoon, and I probably should make sure I packed enough bathing suits. So. Yeah, yeah, but uh, the schedule won't, my, my travels, as usual, won't interrupt the show release schedule. We're trucking on forward, so we will see you next week. We had a fantastic hangout uh, for our, uh, it was basically a home networking hangout. And I we, missed it. 
And Pete missed it. Yeah. I've, I've scheduled the next one. I don't know what the topic is. It doesn't really matter what the topic is, it turns out. We, uh... I mean, we will have one. We will come up with one uh, for the next one. But really, what what's great is just getting a bunch of us together. I think we had, I don't know, 30, maybe 40 people in there uh, on, awesome. on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Uh, the next one is at 4 p.m. Eastern time on March 26th. Uh, if you subscribe to the Mac Geek Gab calendar, it's already there. If you subscribe to the Mac Geek Gab newsletter, you will get a notification about it in your email box. And of course, if you join the Discord at macgeekgab.com slash Discord, we will make sure to put a reminder about it there. So, uh, so yeah, we'll do you know about one a month on these, and uh, we'll have some fun with it. So March 1 is March 26th, Sunday, uh, March 26th at 4 p.m. Eastern. But as we talked about at the top of the show, put this subscribe to the calendar. It will put it on your calendar in your time zone so that we're all actually in sync and you'll be there at the right time. Thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out with us, folks. Thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks uh, for checking out Pilot Pete's other show. So there I was dot us. Thanks for checking out my other shows too. businessbrain.show. Uh, we have changed the format there and y'all, and I mean the, the listeners of that show, which includes some of you really seem to like it. Shorter form episodes with, with quick actionable sort of business uh, tips and advice, businessbrain.show. So check that out too. And then of course there's gig gab at giggabpodcast.com for musicians and people who want to sort of hear how the sausage is made, uh, of being in a band and playing and all that good stuff. So thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for checking out our sponsors. Of course, as we discussed in the show, rocketmoney.com slash MGG and collide.collide, K-O-L-I-D.com slash M-G-G. Fun stuff. I love it when we can get together like this. What's it say on the back of your shirt there? Oh, wait, John, Pete's uh, turned around. What's what's Pete's the back of Pete's shirt say? Or is it the front? It's the nope, front. Nope, it's the back. What's the back say? Uh, Mac Geek Gab. It's the Mac Geek Gab logo. What's the front say? Don't get caught. Made on Mac. Later.